The sponsor for this episode is Whoop. If you haven't heard of Whoop, it is a fitness tracker that provides personalized daily insight into recovery, strain, and sleep. Uh, And this has provided some really cool, actionable data. I've been using it personally. There's a ton of PGA Tour players that are using it. You've probably seen Justin Thomas, Roy McIlroy, and others wearing it. Um, And here's kind of what I take away the most is, is number one, sleep and recovery. So every morning, you can uh, look at your phone, go into the app, look at the data, and it'll tell you kind of how your recovery was. Are you ready to take on a lot of strain that day? Should you relax a little bit more and make take really better actions based on how your body is doing? And then strain, this will let you know of how hard is your body actually working. Is that workout that you're doing, is there enough strain? Is there not enough? And look at all those different things. Um, In the golf context, uh, just the other day, really interesting, I found that playing nine holes walking um, was the same amount of strain as playing 18 holes riding in a cart. There's so many good things from Whoop. You should check it out. We got 15% off your Whoop membership, code GSL, 15% off GSL. Uh, Head over to whoop.com and check that out. Definitely recommend picking one up. We're on a mission to help golfers from all over the world achieve their goals by understanding what it actually takes to play their best golf. We're talking with leading instructors, researchers, and players themselves to find what is actually working. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. My name is Cordy Walker, your host for today. Sitting down with our regular guests, uh, our commentary panel. We actually did get a name suggestion from Twitter. What was the name suggestion? I don't remember, guys. What? I think one was Saving Par. I like that one. Saving Par. Okay. Okay. Decent. I still like the impractical golfers. That's that's personally <laughs> just my that's my go-to. Uh, we've got John Sherman and Adam Young. Hey guys, how you doing? What's up, everyone? Doing great. Thanks. We're talking accuracy today. We did a really fun episode about distance. I think that was last time. I always enjoy that conversation. I know a lot of people did as well. Got some good comments from that one. So we go to the flip side and talk about accuracy. When I think about accuracy, I, I think maybe a word that people use instead of accuracy in their mind might be consistency, which I think is interesting because I think that's an over word and a bad word to use in golf, just personally, because I don't think it exists. So I, what do you guys think about that? Do you think that people, when we say accuracy, act, like then lump together consistency and think about I'm an accurate like golfer if I consistently hit it where I want to kind of thing and are bundling all these together and they really don't understand what's going on with kind of dispersion patterns and patterns and whatnot? Yeah, yeah I would uh, I would say, sorry. Oh, Adam. they both go after it. That was, that Speaking, was a, that was oh a my good God. question. Go, go. All right, I will go. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I agree with you. I think most golfers, myself included, probably for a really long time, have a really unhealthy expectation of where the golf ball should be going. And you mentioned like dispersion patterns, like maybe we can talk about some useful numbers here to get people thinking along more reasonable lines with outcomes. But, you know, every shot you hit on the course, obviously, you know, this is not going to go exactly where you think it should go. And a lot of golfers are way too hard on themselves with the outcomes that they see on the course. So I think in this discussion, you know, we can talk about what is accuracy from a functional perspective, like what are actually good results and dispersions from shots you're hitting. And I know Adam has a ton of information on how to actually improve your accuracy with, you know, what you're doing in your golf swing. So I think there's two sides to this coin in the sense that first we need to talk about like what is 
a realistic accuracy for your golf shots on the course? What does that look like to become a better golfer? And then talk about reasonable steps to make it happen. When we talk about accuracy, like maybe let's kind of clarify a little bit, like what is accuracy and who is an accurate golfer? Like what, what comes to mind for you guys? I always say that golf is three things. It's how far you hit it. What's the consistency of how far you hit it? And then what's your left to right dispersion? So when I'm talking about accuracy, I'm talking about the left to right dispersion. In terms of what is a consistent or a good shot, if you look at the stats from Mark Brody's book, I think he talks about a 6% rule for the best in the world. So, you know, if you're 100 yards away, they're going to be averaging, averaging the keyword there, six yards away or 18 feet. And so, you know, sometimes they do knock it to five feet and sometimes they'll miss it. They'll miss a green from a hundred yards. I mean, it's rare, but uh, it can happen. That 6% rule at 150 is nine yards or 27 feet. And at 180 is 11 yards or 33 feet. And I think that tends to maintain consistency across the board for golfers. So whether they're a hundred yards away or 200 yards away, it'll still be that 6% rule. Uh, actually, as they get closer, the percentage gets bigger. It's, it's much harder to get closer as a percentage, although the um, absolute value is, is uh, closer, if that makes sense. But yeah, when you get to higher handicappers, I think that percentage can probably creep up as the shot gets longer because it's just so difficult for our amateurs to hit those long irons. But then, you know, that, that 6% proximity, it includes left to right and it includes distance dispersion as well. I think for many amateurs, it's the distance thing that gets, um, gets them the higher proximity issues. I think a lot of amateurs are actually pretty decent at left to right. Obviously not tall pro level, but they're, they're better than they think. I think it just lends itself to John's opinion of they just have high expectations of what they should be achieving left to right. I've got PGA Tour up right now. Okay. 100 yards to 125 yards. 2020 season. The leader has 43 rounds in here. 46 attempts. Any guesses on who is the most or closest proximity? Any, any I guesses? actually have all these written down in front of me. So, <laughs> yeah. so I, well, I, I don't know. So I'm going to have a guess. I'm going to guess someone is 15 feet, something like that. 12, 15 ding, ding, feet. Ding, ding, Yeah. Really? That's, okay. That's so yeah, the, the average is 18 feet, I would yeah, imagine. Middle, uh, middle of the pack is about 20 feet from 100 to 125 yards in the fairway. Josh, and Josh then, Teeter. And I'll save you from reloading the PGA Tour site because it's horrible and slow. <laughs> I think it's like the worst website ever, but that's a whole other topic. So 125 to 150 yards in the fairway. The best on tour was 18 feet and seven inches. Middle of the pack was about 23 feet. And then 175 to 200 yards, 25 feet from the hole is the best anyone could do. And middle of the pack is about 33 feet. That's the 6% um, rule then. Yeah. And then that holds up well. And then, again, that's from the fairway. And these are the best ball strikers on the planet. And they're not, you know, again, when we talk about professional golf, you're mostly seeing a highlight reel on television. You're not seeing all of the shots. You're not seeing the, the guys that are shooting 76s or 77s. So there's a lot of errant shots out there, and that's just their dispersion patterns. They cannot put the ball where they want it to all the time. So I think when golfers watch tour golf, unfortunately, that leads to these unrealistic expectations with approach shots. Let me just throw some other stats at you because this is from recreational players. 
And I think if you want to become a better golfer, I always tell anyone this, if you want to shoot the lowest scores, you need to hit more greens in regulation. And that doesn't mean pin hunting. This is from ShotScope, who is a data tracking company. This is based on millions of rounds of golf. Now I'm going to go through green and regulation percentage by handicap. So 26 handicap is 15% of their greens. 20 handicap, 21%. 14 handicap is 28. And 8 handicap is 43%. And then getting down to about a 2 to scratch, you're talking about 57%. So those aren't like mind-blowingly good numbers. And obviously there's a linear progression as to the lower your handicap, the more greens you're going to be hitting in regulation. But you don't need to walk on the course thinking you need to stick it next to the pin or even on the green all the time. You could hit seven or eight greens per round and be on your way to a single digit handicap. So, you know, with approach shots, I, I I really don't want people to expect too much of themselves. And when you talk about that front to back dispersion being the problem, that's mostly what they found is, is I think it's like 94% of golfers are missing the greens on the short side on average. For amateurs. Yeah. Yeah. For amateurs. And, And usually that's because they're not taking enough club. They're not striking it properly. They're not honest with themselves. They might even not know the yardage. So, you know, give yourself a break on the golf course when it comes to you know, the thought of accuracy with your irons. You do want to hit more greens, but if you landed on the green 40 feet away from 130 yards, you've done well for yourself. That's a good shot. Don't get angry. So that's a thought there. There's an interesting crossover. As you said, when you look at the amateurs, the most of the misses are, are long and short. Then there's a crossover where when you get to the elite level, it's very rare that a pro would miss their yardage by five or six yards either side. You know, Tiger would say, his seven iron is like 192 or something like that. And, you know, he can pretty much on the range, he can hit that probably to within two yards either side on in real game scenarios, it might be five yards either side. But it's very common for a pro to miss left or right by that amount, if not more, 10 yards or more, 30 feet. So, yeah, there's that crossover where players become good strikers of the ball, which is probably an easier skill to master. Um, becoming a good striker and so that distance dispersion comes down to manageable areas but it's really really difficult to control the parameters that create side-to-side accuracy let's just talk about tee shots as well because i think that's another really important topic to like set the table for what accuracy is on tee shots a number i've come across a lot and in my own testing and working with guys like scott fawcett so a really good driver of the golf ball, whether it's tour level, elite amateur, you know, someone who could drive it relatively accurately and hit it 275 yards or more. Their left to right dispersion, if you give them like 30, 40, 50 balls to hit, it's usually around 65 to 70 yards left to right, which is really wide. You know, most fairways are only, what are they, about 25 yards, 30 yards is a generous fairway. And that's why you see a lot of people, you know, hitting 50% of their fairways or even a little more or less. And that number can tighten up as you don't hit it as far. So someone who drives at 220, their dispersion might not be as wide. But the point I'm trying to make is that, you know, a lot of golfers step up to the tee with this fairway or parish mentality. And I think, you know, my number one measuring stick of a successful tee shot or an accurate tee shot would be, do you have a clear path to the green with your next shot? which means have you avoided the trees? Have you avoided um, a penalty area? You know, even if you're in light rough and you have a shot to the green and you've hit it, you know, 
relatively as far as you should with that club, like that's a very successful tee shot because you're not going to lose a ton of strokes. I mean, if you hit the ball in the light rough, it only costs you about a third of a stroke. Whereas if you hit it in the trees, I've got some data from shot scope here is about, that's about 1.1 shots and fairway bunkers are 1.4 shots. So those are even more penal. So I try and tell people that the real measuring, I think the measuring or litmus test of a successful accurate tee shot is not necessarily the fairway. Obviously you want to hit fairways, but have you navigated away from the big trouble? And I think that's something that golfers can take into account when they select targets or clubs off the tee. I mean, you want to hit it as far as possible. We know that's a more optimal strategy, but again, it's, you know, with the tee shots is don't be so hard on yourself. If you miss the fairway, if you're in the rough, that's okay. And you got a clear path. To me, that's a successful tee shot. I've got an example of this. So we're back on PGA Tour website. Any guesses on who is number one in accuracy off the tee or fair or in this, the metric is fairways hit? Any any guesses? I know who it is. I already looked. I'll let Adam guess. I don't know. I, I'd guess Furek. I know he's been pretty yeah. good. <laughs> you got it. But, okay, so number one, right? Any that's guess, a misleading statistic. Any guesses what he ranks and strokes gained off the tee? Oh, he's got to be like 178th or something like that. It's <laughs> a very specific number, John. 170. No, he's he's 136 or 133. Okay. Really? So like it's, not, it's not that valuable to hit it really accurate then. I mean, distance is obviously the, the thing that he's lacking. And I bet you guys know who's number one in strokes gained off T. I don't know. It's either Rory, Rory. Bryson. Bryson. Dustin. Or, there we go. Uh, Bryson, yeah. Duh. Bryson. Let's see. And any guesses on what he is in accuracy off T? 52%. 60. He's T140 is his ranking, uh, 57%, and Furyk's at 70-something percent. Let's see, what is Furyk at? 74%. So, so mathematically, it's better to hit it longer and 10 15% fewer fairways. Well, 20% fewer fairways. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Cool. There's your facts of the day. Yeah, so bash <laughs> the ball. Also, I mean, one last statistic I'll show, I'll discuss that I think was interesting. Another you know, from about 30 million shots recorded, a typical driver goes about 242 yards versus a three wood, which is only 214 yards um, for, you know, a reasonably skilled golfer. And a lot of people pull three wood off the tee for accuracy. Interestingly, the driver accuracy is 52% fairways hit and three woods only 53%. So you're losing 30 yards with the three wood, which is about a third of a stroke, and they're really not that much more accurate with it. So there's a bit of a myth there, and I've learned this the hard way of playing it too safe off the tee, trying to play too much for accuracy because, you know, if you hit an iron or a utility club or a three wood, you're already losing strokes technically by not hitting it as far. And a lot of the times you're not as accurate with those clubs as you think you are versus the driver. Of course, there's there are always exceptions to this rule, but that's the type of thing you can analyze in your game is starting to understand where you're putting the ball in the golf course and adjusting from there. So I think that sets the table for expectation management on what accuracy is. It's probably not as hard as you think it should be. So let's talk about what we can do to be more accurate. And I think Adam of the three of us has most of that information, right? Yeah, we've almost discredited the accuracy with driving is that important. I mean, to, to a certain extent, obviously you don't want big 
penalty shots or being behind trees but definitely accuracy left to right dispersion with irons is a higher correlator to success on tour that proximity number you know tiger dominated that field proximity with his irons and so yeah what creates accuracy well luckily with the irons there's only two factors literally just two factors path and face direction that's it with the driver we have gear effect so it's a really complicated thing. I do have videos on that on YouTube because it's so hard to... Let me try. <laughs> we can. De- I think we can describe that very simply. Why don't you first define what club path is and face angle just very briefly so everyone's on the same page. Yeah, so club path is the direction the club is moving through impact. So that one inch of space where it's in contact... Lots of people think, you know, the top of the swing or swing plane is path. Those things might correlate or relate, but really it's just that one inch of space where the club is in contact with the ball. Is it moving more to the right or moving more to the left? Basically cutting across the ball in any any way. Face angle, you could split this into two factors. There's the leading edge, where the leading edge is open or closed. That's how most people visualize it. What most people don't realize is the 3D part of the face angle. So if you were to stick a T on the club face, it would have a certain direction. There's a loft component to that as well. And so if you change the lie angle of the club, that'll actually change the face direction. So, I mean, for for basic rules for most people, I just say it's the leading edge, whether that's open or closed. But, you know, if they're a little bit more advanced, I talk about the lie angle effect as well. And that's why it's important to get fit for clubs. Yeah, let's just assume for simplicity's sake, is the club, you know, generally speaking, pointing left or right of your target at impact? You know, we could use that as a general term of face angle for this discussion. I mean, there are other elements too. And then that predominantly determines irons what's going to happen with your shot amongst a few other things but with you know when you get with larger faces like the driver you've got gear effects so why don't you just tell people what happens when you strike the heel of the for a right-handed golfer what happens when you strike the heel of the golf club versus the toe you strike the toe and the face will open out which logically most people say oh the face is opening the ball is going to go right Actually, it sends the ball to the left. (laughs) It's completely backward. It sends the ball more to the left because the opening out of the face, when it's in contact with the ball, it creates a gear like or cog situation. So the face opens and that actually twists the ball the opposite way. So a toe strike can send the ball more left, all else being equal. And a heel shot can send it more to the right, all else being equal. And I'd say that's true for most heel and toe shots it gets a little bit glitchy when we get extremes so if you're striking extreme toe or extreme heel it can actually start to reverse itself but the overall thing is if someone's having difficulty with accuracy and they're striking the incorrect part of the face we'll probably fix strike first with a bigger headed club with irons we don't have gear effect luckily well there's very minimal gear effect i should say so like a real life example of that when i I have a very, we've discussed this before in other episodes, I have a very in-to-out swing path, so I'm mostly, I'm almost always hitting a draw. The only time you'll ever see me hit what looks like a slice off the tee with my driver is when I hit it on the heel, which is a tendency of mine. So I'll look at the face and see where the impact is, the residue from the ball, and 
almost every time it's it's going to be on the heel of the club so a lot of people get fooled by that you know sometimes they'll hit a hook and they thought it might have been because their swing path and maybe the impact had a little more influence on it i don't want to get too deep into the physics but it's something you should know that impact location with the driver is more important for accuracy and directionally if i'm saying that correctly versus your irons is that a that a fair generalization definitely i mean you could have a a path that's three right a face that's square which would normally produce a hook and like you said if you you hit out the heel it'll actually fade off and completely confuse the hell out of a lot of people even even coaches if they're looking at trackman numbers and they're like "I, i don't understand how this is lining up and so you know it's only more of a recent thing i was really fortunate that i learned about gear effect back in 2002 from a physics professor but many people didn't really learn about gear effect until more recently since trackman has become more popular so 2010 and later but yeah it's you know there are many pros out there who don't understand gear effect and so can't make sense of the numbers so when we talk about irons i think in terms of my evolution as a ball striker and knowing that i can play fairly well with a wacky swing path i think face control is like if you can't control the face of the golf club at impact where it's pointing you have very little chance to become a better golfer so why don't you kind of expand on the path and face relationship with irons and how that relates to really controlling that left to right dispersion so you're hitting more greens and regulation definitely so yeah when you've got the path and the face separated the ball will start between the two so if you say had a square club face at impact but you were cutting across it That ball will start between the two, but it will always start closer to the face. And that ratio varies between different clubs with higher lofted clubs. The face is about 60% of the dominating factor. When you get down to zero loft or putter, maybe four four degrees of loft, the face can control about 90% of the start direction. So face is always more dominant in terms of start direction. And then... Depending on the amount of separation between path and face will determine the amount of curvature. Obviously, the more the separation, the greater the curvature. The scary thing is it only takes one degree of separation between path and face to create 4% of curve with a driver. So to give you more numbers, uh, but to put that into easier terms, it'll, it'll curve 12 yards on a 300-yard shot. Or if you hit the ball 250, it will curve 10 yards for every one degree. So really on a 30-yard fairway, if you aim down the center and you got 15 yards right or left, oh my God, who can do the math on that? <laughs> it's uh, you got a three-degree window, basically, to hit the fairway. you got a degree and a half either side before it becomes an offline shot. Most people can't see three degrees. You know, if you ask them to open the face three degrees or so, it's so difficult to even see. And we're supposed to control that while swinging that club around our body. It's going through like 180 degrees of rotation and we're supposed to time it up as we're swinging it 100 mile an hour plus. It's like we've got a difficult task ahead of ourselves. So in terms of the expectation stuff, you know, cut yourself some slack. This is a this is an incredibly complex or difficult task that we're trying to do here. And yeah, as you said, John, I completely agree with you. Everybody talks about path and obviously that is a factor, but you can still hit your target with an offline path. It's just going to change the shape that it gets there. So if you're an in to out swinger, 
then you're going to hit draw shots onto the target. And if you swing the club out to in, you're going to hit fade shots onto the target. And that is absolutely fine. You do not have to have a perfectly neutral path to play great golf. And no one on tour does. But yeah, the face will have much more of an influence. I actually ran some simulations using numbers. So what I did was I either changed the path by one degree and kept the face the same. Or I changed the face by one degree and kept the, the path the same. And what what you found is that let me give you an example. If you if you have four degrees of change, if you change the path, it's only 36 yards offline, which is still a long, long way offline. But if you change the face, it's 53 yards offline. So it was 17 yards more offline with a face change. So really, almost all of our offline shots would be caused more by face changes. So I think it's critical to learn how to control the face because it's more dominating on start direction. It's more dominating for the overall end result. And it's usually the thing that's more variable for golfers as well. If you, if you have a look at standard deviations of path numbers and face numbers for a golfer who hits a hundred shot, the path is actually relatively consistent for players. It's the face that changes more often, which is actually counter to what most golfers believe, right? When they hit a bad shot, they said, oh, I came over the top of that. And then you show them their trackman numbers and you said, no, your path is exactly the same as that last one. What changed was the face was a couple of degrees more open. And that's really the thing that's kind of blown me away about golf as I learned more about this stuff and saw it in my own game. Like Cordy mentioned consistency earlier in this and golfers actually do show up to the course with a lot of consistency. It's the path of their club. Like I show up to the course and I know I'm going to be in to out, you know, anywhere from six to 10 degrees. Like I'm, I'm very extreme, but what I really need to control and what I've gotten better at is where is that face pointing an impact in order for me to hit functional draws, my club head needs to be open at impact. It needs to be pointing to the right of my target. If it's pointing to the left, then I've got a big problem. I'm going to be hitting a pull hook. And those are, I just cannot live with those. And I think there was a lot of misinformation, you know, before the launch monitors came out, you know, you used to tell people, oh, if you want to hit a fade, open the face and swing out to in and, and you know, close the face for a draw. And I never understood that myself. Like when I learned how to hit a draw, I'm like, I feel like my face is open. Like that was my main feeling during the swing. Like I kept the face open. So yeah, I'm, I'm all on board with managing the direction of the club head. I mean, strike is obviously in incredibly important as well for irons because that's going to determine, you know, if you're hitting a 150 yard shot and you don't strike it well, well, then it goes 130. So that's your front to back dispersion. And that's why a lot of golfers miss it on the front of the green versus the back. But you can't play golf effectively if you're hitting those big foul balls. And as you said, the direction of where the club is pointing at impact is more important. So what is like if someone's listening to this and they're like, all right, I want to control the face better. Like, what do they do? <laughs> well, luckily, the rule, I mean, I know a lot of people listening to the start of this will be kind of put off by some of the numbers. But if you're more if you if you're into simplistic information and this rule applies across the board, it's really a simple rule. If you want that end result to be more to the right, get the face more open at impact. If you want the result to be more left, get the face more closed at impact. If everything else maintains the same, path, strike, then that rule applies. That rule will work. So when you're hooking it, John, you've got to feel the face more open. 
And that's exactly yeah. what I do. And for that yeah, slicer who tends to hit everything to the right, they've got to find a way of closing that face more. And there are loads and loads of options to do that. And technically, I mean, you can change wrist angles, you can change grip, you can change forearm supination, uh, you can change even shaft pitch affects it. There's loads of routes to available. I don't think one's necessarily better than the other either. It's just finding a tool that works for you that you can feel. Yeah, let me get a little hypothetical here because in the that analysis you just gave, John, you hit a one shot shape, right? You don't hit a fade. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Pretty much. I actually hit one the other day. I was blocked <laughs> by some trees. I was 220 out and I'm like, I'm going to hit my big cut of the year. Uh, and I open it. I hit that hyver and I, I just smoked it around the tree and hit it 10 feet from the hole. And it was like awesome. the shot of the year, but that was my one fade of the year. And I had to, <laughs> in my, in my view, exaggerate the most out in swing I could think of, but Probably I wasn't even technically I'm the same. I have to jam it into my left leg in the follow-through to hit a fade. Nice. Yeah, so it's just not in the cards for me. I'm like, uh, you know, I guess Zach Johnson would be someone who I could identify with. He's got one look. So what's everyone's thoughts on that, you know, of being in that vein versus someone like myself? Honestly, throughout the year, I kind of kind of go back and forth, you know, for maybe a month or two, three months, I'll hit a little bit of a little fade then it'll kind of go back to a little draw. Is that intentional? No, it's just kind of adjusting to patterns of, I, I hit the ball pretty straight. Like I don't yeah, really- You probably have a very, what's your path usually on track, man? Uh, it's a little bit to the left. I think it's like two or three to the left. It was yeah, so, a, a few months ago. And- so you're, you ain't, You're not in my territory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, so for you, so for I, you I to just, cross over into, into out isn't that big of a leap. Right. Um, well, I've been all of you guys. I've been, when I first started on Trackman, my path was about eight, nine to the right, and I hit a huge hook onto the target by controlling the face. I worked on neutralizing that, and I did successfully, but it affected my confidence on the golf course. I didn't like having a path neutral. I didn't like that I couldn't see or feel my draw shot anymore. So I settled on about three degrees in to out. I think that's my optimal, about two to three degrees in to out. It, it, it satisfies me psychologically. I can see a draw shape. Yeah, it's not too big that I'm hitting, you know, too wild a pattern. So yeah, I've been all of you guys. I've, I have been into the fade territory, although it requires conscious effort to get there. If I take a, a week off or a month off, I will default to a draw always. Yeah, I, I think, pers- I mean, we kind of discussed this in the Swing Your Swing podcast, plug for another listen there. I like the idea of, you know, let's say you're working with an instructor and they are using a launch monitor. If they can get you to a functional swing path that produces a functional ball flight that is consistent, I don't like the idea of switching back between fades and draws especially for a higher handicap player. I just don't think the skill level's there. Because think of all the things we discussed. You have to be really skilled at changing your path and controlling the face in both directions. So again, I'm biased because I'm on one extreme. Like I don't have to worry about hitting fades because I physically can't do it unless I, I do something completely crazy in my golf swing. But I prefer people to stick to one shot shape just because they know what to expect on the course. I'm all about simplicity and removing variables. Not to say that you couldn't play golf well shaping it both ways. There's plenty of golfers who do that. I just think for most players, you're making the game a little 
too complicated for yourself. I'm the same as well. I, I just, I tinker with face control with players. It's very rare that I'll get players to change path. It's so much more difficult for a player to change the swing path than it is to change the face. Because the swing path is much more of a macro movement, a gross motor pattern, whereas changing the club face can be just a little tweak to even how you set up at impact. I mean, John and I were laughing before we were talking about what what's your strategy when you if you're missing it left one day and we just said, well, we just open the face at address. I mean, we both do that. And most players that I know who are pretty decent will do something as simple as that. But yeah, changing path is much more of a complex task usually. It's very difficult for amateurs and it affects more variables as well. When you change the club face, usually it only changes the club face. But when you try and change path, it affects loft, angle of attack, low point, face to path, even strike. So it's it's a much more intrusive intervention. And probably best suited, like Cordy's a very skilled golfer. I've seen him hit shots. Yeah. He knows what he's doing. Someone like him would be better suited to handle that type of thing versus, you know, I hate to throw out handicap numbers, but like a 15 handicap or a 20 handicap, you know, they're not, they're not changing back and forth at will. They're just trying to, that's the type of player I try and communicate towards and saying like, all right, you know, what can you do to maybe the word consistency shouldn't be thrown around as much, but like, what can you do to create a more functional ball flight? So that's my bias is keeping it simple and keeping it as, you know, keeping the path, I guess, consistent because you're always going to be fighting. I feel like golf is like you're battling your, your face direction every day. Like some days it's more closed, some days it's more open. And that's what you go to the golf course with and what you're struggling with a lot. You can also test these things as well. I mean, I, I do this in my own game. I will stand there and I will get my path to neutral. Then for the next 20 shots, I'll get a small draw and then I'll play a bigger draw. And at the end of that, I look at my dispersions. I'm, I'm fortunate to have a lot of data because I have a GC quad. And so I can look at the standard deviations and see which one was more accurate and which one had a lower standard deviation or, or greater consistency value. And then I play that one. And for me, like I said, the, the small draw is the one that gives me the best results overall. I mean, you could find a player. I don't think I've seen it. But you could find a player who, if you ask them to hit a different shape each time into the target, they play better golf doing that. I mean, Bubba might be an example of that. But I think those type of players are few and far between. Most players are going to be better hitting one stock shot and learning to com- control or manage the club face. I think, Adam, you're the right guy to, to touch on this. But in a quest to find accuracy, I don't think people should get stuck necessarily. This idea of practice different face angles, try to practice different paths just to gain awareness of what those feel like, just so that you have a bit of awareness when you go to the course of, you know, maybe where you're at, if you're seeing shots, you know, go away, you don't like. Definitely. Yeah. For for face angle, definitely. Some players, you know, I might spend 5% of the overall practice looking at changing path with players, but pretty much every player I get, I'll do something called feel mapping with them. So I'll actually ask them to hit intentionally to the right and intentionally to the left by presenting the club face differently. And everybody, the first time they hear that, they're like, well, I don't know how to do it. And I just say, well, just have a go. (laughs) And instantly, everybody knows they can tap into the instinct and present the face more open or more closed. At the very least, a player can hit 100 shots and present the face open to some degree. 
It's just whether they have control over it. But we can, we can then layer on tasks. I could say the next task would be, I want you to hit it between 20 and 40 yards right, and then 20 and 40 yards left. And then I've got more levels, which would be like pro level, where they have to hit it five yard increments. So, you know, 20, 20 to 25 yards right, 15 to 20 yards right, 10 to 15 yards right. And you can map out the whole space to the point where a player starts to feel what an open face is. Or even if you're on radar, if you ask me to hit a two degree or three degree open face, I can do it to within some some level of accuracy and so having that ability when you're on the golf course is is insanely valuable because if you're suffering with a left club face one day you're suffering with left shots you then know because you've practiced it you can say well i know what it feels like to open the face by x degrees so i will implement that feeling i totally agree with everything you said right there i actually have a very funny slightly embarrassing story (laughs) on how that works in my own game just to show you, I, I, I kind of believe in the fighting fire with fire philosophy sometimes. Like if you're fighting a really big slice, maybe you should try hitting a big hook and that'll neutralize things a bit. So I got invited down to this tournament in Bermuda a couple of years ago and it was in November. I really hadn't played in a while and there was a lot of ex-athletes there. Uh, it was called the Gosling's Invitational. It's a really fun tournament. And I was playing in the Pro-Am with Eric Gagne and Mark Rippian and for all you sports fans, you know, Eric Gagne won a Cy Young Award. Mark Rippon was a Super Bowl quarterback, and I'd watch these guys on TV. So I was a bit nervous to play with them. And I just could not hit a ball. Like, I was hooking it. Like, when you talked about face, face pointing left and an into-out swing path, I mean, duck hooks, it was bad. And midway through the round, what I had to do to fix it and for the tournament, I'm like, I can't play golf like this. Before I was hitting a shot, I was literally standing straight at the target and like rehearsing, like my feet are pointing towards the green and I'm rehearsing the biggest out to in slice swing you can imagine. And that was how I solved it for that week. Because for whatever reason, my path was a little too extreme into out and my face was pointing too much left. And that feeling of hitting that enormous slice helped neutralize that. It helped get the face a little more open and the path a little less extreme to the right. I call it the golden rule. Take your fault, try the opposite until it's yeah. neutral. That's all. Yeah, it's fight. I, yeah, it's, I describe it as just fight fire with fire. Like if you're if you're suffering from one extreme and this doesn't necessarily work for everyone, but it's an example of. I had to do like literally triage in the middle of the golf course because I'm like, you know, these guys thought I was a scratch golfer and I can't even like keep it on the golf course right now. And, you know, by hole six, I figured it out and was hitting some good shots, but I had to do some triage on the course. And that's really all I could think of was just like do the exact opposite. And it helped. It worked. So that's one of the challenges of golf is that each day when you step on the course, you just don't know what you're going to get in terms of your tendencies. So I think the more experimentation you do along the way and perhaps professional help you can get with your instructor, understanding your tendencies and how to fight against them when they get extreme, I think that's how you manage your game and keep the ball. Again, our, our, our real goal with, in terms of accuracy is I'm just thinking of these big lines left to right in terms of dispersion. You're just trying to get them a little more narrow. You know, They're always going to be bigger than you think, but you're just trying to create less of those foul balls and keep it in play. And I think some of the things we've discussed here are ways to, you know, 
work against it, or at least understanding the source of it, I think is what we've done here. Pordy, what do you do if, if you're having a directional issue one day? Are you more internal with your swing thoughts, or do you just present the face a little differently or tweak the grip? What do you do? If I'm struggling, I just try to find a shot, whether it's a, a fade or a draw. And okay. for me, it's just a feel thing. And some days I'll just kind of find it that one's working better than the other. But most of the time, I would say I kind of just have, I, I hit, I don't really play a shot. I just kind of hit it straight and it either falls a little right or falls a little left. And it's kind of weird. I know, but it's just kind I don't of, I think like, that's weird. There's, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of, golf, a lot of pros yeah. to play like that. <laughs> and actually the reason that I kind of landed on that, and I should have done this a long time ago is if you just, if you watch or hang out with pro golfers, you just kind of notice that's what they do. Like the ball, doesn't you know who does that? Much. I watched him on the range, Adam Scott. He just hits completely straight shots. <laughs> yeah, There's like no curve on his golf ball whatsoever. When I saw that, it, it just gave me kind of some freedom. I'm just like, I'm just going to hit it straight. And I just realized that it kind of just falls right or left. So like, that's my kind of how I play golf now. But there's intention and, and reality as well. I mean, if I, if I just tried to hit it straight and I don't think of anything, I'll, I'll produce a draw between 10 and 20 yards and then from there I will base or calibrate that ball flight with a feeling like you said so if my natural non-thinking shot is a draw I'll do what John said and hit I will feel a fade swing and that neutralizes it so what someone looking at me might be thinking is oh all those balls are going straight what they don't see is that I'm feeling a fade I'm feeling Mm -hmm. swinging left with an open face that's not what the numbers are producing but that's what I'm feeling so the other thing you guys mentioned setup, I think that's huge. You mentioned open closing the face. My cue for that is shoulders. I just open and close okay. my shoulders. And that's kind of the thing that helps me hit it right or left that I know that if everything's curving a little bit to the right, I just need to shut my shoulders because mine open up pretty easily. I mean, just simple things like that, I think are huge. I think setup is gigantic. If you struggle with accuracy, please look at your setup first. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know about you guys, but like so many people, they're just complaining about their accuracy and their setup is just terrible. Either they're, you know, way biased for a draw or way biased for a slice or they're super inconsistent. And there are some simple things that they should step forward with just getting a good solid setup. And also that, you know, talk about intention and, and this really leads back to practice. Like when people practice with no intention, like with no target, you can't calibrate all of those things. Like when I practice, I have a target in mind. If I notice I'm consistently missing it to the left, well, then I have to make some type of adjustment. Is it, you know, like my setup? Am I aimed properly? Maybe not. I mean, everyone, I think aim is a, is a bit of a personal thing. You know, some golfers, their feet are in very different directions or their shoulders. I think you need to find out what that setup is for you and have that intention. And that's where experimentation can really help a lot in your game by willing to try some different things and see the results. So it's all, it's all connected in this endlessly complicated game. That's true. It's very true. And on this, we've hit our time limit. John, we got yeah. we got to get you out of here. I know I got to <laughs> do things. I think, yeah, maybe we could do like a part two of that. Cause we really didn't even get into strike that much. I don't know, but hopefully that helps some of you. We can always be back next week. <laughs> <laughs>